0: Hello folks, welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm um, looking for my buddy Seth out there. Seth, are you there?
1: Hey, how you doing?
0: I'm keeping warm, let's put it that way. Mm. It's 5 degrees here in New Hampshire today. Super cold.
1: Yeah, I think we sent that over to you because it was super cold here, but we're going to have it super cold again and then you're warming up, right?
0: Yeah, it's kooky weather. Um, I think it's supposed to be in the 50s on Sunday, which is insane considering it's in single digits today. So, you know, I don't know what to make of it. But I won't be complaining in the 50s. It'll be a nice little break because I'm sure we won't get that for a long time now.
1: Yeah, we're going to be like negative 50 on Sunday. Um, so, not yeah. good. But um, Oh, well, good good time to just hunker down and stay inside, I suppose.
0: Yep, it's that time of the year. Yeah. Stay indoors, cook things, bake things, that kind of thing. Eat things. (laughs) Eat things. (laughs) Exactly. So it has been a year though, hasn't it? On all fronts, not just the technology front, but it's just been um, 2016, I have to say, has been quite the year.
1: Yeah, everyone feels uh, very weary of this year, it seems like, and hopefully you know, this isn't the shape of things to come. Hopefully this was just kind of a bad one, but uh, it's, there's, there's been a lot to, to talk about, uh, a lot to look back on and try to digest.
0: Yeah, there certainly has. Um, our industry has certainly been very busy this year, and there's been a lot of things going on that I think we'll, we will see a continuation of into next year and beyond, but it's been an interesting one. Security is always a big issue, and I think this year was another big year for um, headlines. Let's put it that way. Uh, That would be how I would uh, describe our take on security today. What do you think?
1: Yeah, so if I'm looking back at the year and thinking about the things that kind of popped out, I think one of them was the Dine attack. And like you said, there have been a lot of breaches that continue to make headlines. You know, the Yahoo uh, stuff happened twice. Poor Yahoo has you know gotten hit twice now, and lost all kinds of records. But I think the Dyne attack stood out for me uh, because it was that IoT attack, it was that first time that we had seen a botnet get created out of these connected devices, and we knew it was coming, but we hadn't seen it happen yet, and it finally happened, uh, and there's a lot of consternation over what we're going to do so that this doesn't happen in the future or that worse things don't happen in the future. But I mean, I think security just continues to stand out. You know, we've seen it grow year over year. Ever since I've been here at CompTIA, we've been talking about security. And I think when we started talking about it five years ago when I was here, it was kind of like, yep, it's a very important part of the industry and we have to focus on it. And it has just gotten red hot and uh, everyone wants to talk about security Um, all of our security content, you know, does very well out there. People are very interested in it. It's very dynamic and it's changing a lot. And I don't think that that's going to change anytime soon.
0: No, certainly not. I think security is the blanket around everything that we do in the IT industry, it seems. And, you you know, there's always going to be some, you know, malicious forces out there that are going to be one step ahead of you. So it's not the kind of thing where you can solve security. You don't really solve it. You solve it for the moment, and then something new comes up, and then you've got to think of a new solution. Um, so I guess you can consider that job security, not to use a bad pun, um, but in a sense, if you become a security expert, uh, you are always going to be busy. There's going to be things for you to be doing, and new things, too. Yeah, um, I, yeah I, I mean, I agree with you on the Dyn attack. I thought that was a, a telling one, especially because it had to do with IoT, and you, you do see people scratching their heads right now thinking whether that's going to be a big setback for um, IoT deployment and adoption.
1: Yeah. And you also see people asking, you know, what it, is that going to be the one that finally gets companies thinking more about security? Because there's, you know, plenty of data out there, some of our data and some data from other places that shows that companies still aren't really revolutionizing their security approach. They may start to realize that the technology part of it has to grow beyond. Firewalls and antivirus, and they have to start adding some new tools to the toolbox. But we've been saying for a while that modern security is the technology along with processes uh, like risk analysis or compliant management, along with end user education, because the entire workforce is using technology. And for many people, their, their technology usage is kind of outpacing their security awareness. Uh, and, and so they're becoming the weakest link in the chain. And you just don't see a lot of companies kind of taking that three-pronged approach, really taking end-user education uh, seriously, things like that. Um, and, and so you, you think about all of these breaches that have happened, and the, the Dyn attack or the Yahoo attacks or, or the Target attack, that kind of kicked off all of these mega breaches. A lot of bad things haven't happened to companies. Um, you know, like maybe you know Target fires a few people and they bring in a new head of security, but they didn't go out of business. You know, people didn't stop going to Target and using their credit cards. And for the most part, that's that's been the case. Um, you know, Yahoo with the recent one this week, maybe that puts their the standing of their Verizon deal on a little bit shakier ground. Um, But there really hasn't been this momentous occasion where companies, you know, across the board feel like, well, we're we're forced into doing something here. And the government hasn't felt the need to step in and start trying to regulate things. And, And as IoT comes down the pipe and some of these other technology tools that are going to have their own individual security issues, I think it's going to take bigger and bigger things before we start seeing action be taken.
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a head-scratcher why we haven't seen more, and I think that it's going to take two things. I think there needs to be more of a customer revolt. I, I agree. I think that <clears throat> when you know, the end customer who is affected um, does something about it, you know, either boycotts a particular uh, organization for a breach or starts demanding some sort of regulation or, um, or a punitive type of action that gets taken um, at a government level, and then I do think the government probably needs to get more involved. Now um, I, I question whether that will happen with the new administration because I think that regulation is not is, is kind of a um, something that they don't want to do. But we'll wait and see because we really don't know yet. Uh, I do know our policy team works pretty uh, extensively on the Hill about rules and regulations around data breaches and and some of the things that the government at least does on a state-by-state basis. I don't know all the details, but I do think it needs to be, like you said, this three-pronged approach um, across the board, and until somebody gets punished, I think in some significant way, we may continue to see these sort of headlines.
1: Yeah, I think so, so uh, we'll have to get used to them for a little while.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, uh, you know, I think that the complexity of, of security and and related to that, the complexity of technology overall kind of leads into our, our second topic, um, which is MA and a uh, companies merging with each other, companies acquiring other companies to try to fill gaps. Um, so what jumps out to you in that space from the past year?
0: Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of MA activity this year for a number of reasons. I would cite obviously the big Dell EMC deal just closed recently in the, in the past couple of weeks, um, and that, that's a pretty blockbuster deal between two you know old guard companies within our industry. Um, but there's a lot of other activity among within the channel. There's been channel companies that have merged with other channel companies. A lot of M and A activity in the managed services space for the the software vendors that sell into the managed services space. So um, SolarWinds acquired LogicNow, and that's just the most recent example of a PSA or an RMM vendor, um, which sell the tools that help MSPs run their businesses, merging. And part of what's driving that is that particular industry doesn't want to be fragmented anymore. So if you own a, you know, you do PSA software. It behooves you to also have RMM in your arsenal so that your MSP customers have an integrated solution as opposed to having to work with two different vendors to get the two things that they need. So we're going to see a lot of activity in that space, and we've seen the number of vendors dwindle there because they're all gobbling one another up. And I don't I don't see that changing. I think um, you know one of the other uh, dynamics that's going on is the the, the channel itself, if we want to just talk about the channel for a second, is aging. I mean a lot of companies in the channel are smaller, privately owned companies whose owners are now approaching retirement age and they're looking at an exit strategy and you know the typical exit strategy for them is to get bought you know sell themselves and so that's where we're seeing a lot of M&A activity it's going to be interesting I think for the years ahead so looking forward is you know how we're going to fill the void as all these come you know we get a smaller and smaller um, number of companies because they are merging with one another and I think we we talked a little bit about this in in a previous podcast but we are seeing Different types of channel companies emerging that are, are will will fill the void. So these are companies that aren't what you historically think about when you think about a solution provider, but um, companies that are working in the SaaS channel and companies that are not even technology companies that sell technology now um, as as sort of an off uh, side business. So that would be you know accounting firms and digital agencies and things of that sort. So. 2017, we're going to keep seeing more, uh, you know, mergers and acquisitions as one of the the top trends going on. I don't see where it stops. I think that's something that's going to be uh, part and parcel of the tech industry for some time now.
1: You're definitely right about a few different factors causing all of this activity, and and specifically within the channel, you've got uh, the aging of the channel and and people that are looking to. Uh, be done with their business and move on to the next stage of their life. And they really don't have a succession plan laid out. And so, like you said, that's their exit strategy. And then being in the technology space, I think, just adds to that where – We've talked before on, on the podcast here about the technology stack changing and, and different parts of the industry are starting to uh, emerge and really be the growth opportunities and other parts of the industry that have kind of been the long standing pieces that people have built their business on and, and made a lot of profit on are starting to become a little bit more commoditized. And so you've got kind of that commodity activity that might be driving some consolidation uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got businesses that are looking to grow their capabilities. And I, I think that this will extend out beyond the traditional technology industry where you've got companies in other industries that might be looking for application development, or they might even be looking for you know frontline support if they're starting to deploy devices more widely to to their employee population. They, they could be looking for any number of things to kind of boost their technology capability, and so you could maybe have some of this cross-industry activity that will add to what we've already seen.
0: Oh yeah, I totally see that. I mean, the other thing that feeds right into what you're talking about is um, vertical expertise. So you will see, you know, companies that are coming together because one is an expert in a particular industry, vertical, um, and that brings a whole set of skills to another company that they didn't have before and also helps them differentiate themselves in the marketplace. Vertical expertise and specialization are going to be big going forward if you are a provider of technology, um, especially if you're in the channel. Um, So, you know, rather than organically grow that expertise, um, sometimes it's a lot easier to just acquire it and bring it in house and integrate it into you um, rather than grow, you know home grow it. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll see quite a bit of that as the channel begins to realize that they need to specialize much more than they are today. Um, move away from you know selling pure horizontal solutions and become vertically expert in a particular industry or industries. And like I said, the way to get there sometimes is you know you, the old you, is it do you build do you buy, and I think buying is going to be the option that many companies take to get that kind of expertise.
1: Yeah.
0: Really interesting. Everybody's gobbling everybody up, but um, we may end up with uh, uh, the same size industry, but far fewer companies. We'll see. It'll be interesting to watch.
1: Well, one of the things that we keep mentioning here in this discussion is software. And that's been uh, part of our discussion at, at CompTIA here for the past few months is really trying to understand how, software, software as a service, can can fit into some of the activities that we've been driving for a while. And another item that jumped out from the past year in the headlines was uh, the success of Pokemon Go, uh, which was maybe a little short-lived, uh, and maybe that's to be expected. I don't know that something like that would really be sustaining for uh, months and months. But at the time that it came out, I mean, it certainly made all kinds of headlines, and you would go out on the street and see many more people than usual looking down at their phones and holding their phones up. Uh, and and so, whether or not you know, Pokemon Go itself is this you know singular event that uh, that has really changed viewpoints. I think it does highlight what's going on in software today, and that software is starting to. Use the capabilities of new devices, and and that that software layer is becoming really important on driving the user experience. Um, and so, one of the big parts of Pokemon Go was augmented reality, kind of that you're playing this game within the physical world that you're living in. And that's going to be an interesting part of the software field to watch going forward. You know, along with artificial intelligence and people building chat bots and and doing different things with software off of the base of, of hardware infrastructure that exists, uh, but really using software to differentiate. Um, and there are so many companies out there that don't have a lot of software expertise, and even the companies that do have software expertise are finding that a lot of these new trends um, don't just translate naturally from previous experience in desktop application. Um, so I really saw a, a lot more around software this year in the same way that I saw a lot more around security. And I expect that to continue going forward too and for software skills to be the places where a lot of the biggest gaps start to emerge.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> I think that that is going to be definitely an area where um, hiring becomes difficult and, and training is going to become super important. Companies that, as you mentioned earlier, who uh, don't typically do custom app dev or do any app dev, period, uh, are going to have to start thinking about doing that. And then also learning about these new new technologies and software like the augmented reality and virtual reality and, and artificial intelligence. I know I um, spent quite a bit of time talking with one of, uh, one of our friends here in the industry who is working with um, IBM Watson on a project. And his company has created a automatic help desk. It's it's, it's hard for me to explain, but it uses Watson. It's taught Watson how to do um, help desk training for managed services providers. So if they run into a problem, rather than having to look it up themselves, they can actually have a quick conversation that's generated through Watson that helps them walk them through whatever they're trying to troubleshoot. So it doesn't replace their jobs, but it makes their jobs easier. So I found that interesting because the first thing that came to mind was, okay, now do we not need these help desk people anymore? We can just use this software. And I'm sure that'll happen too. I think we get into a little tricky area as the software becomes this much more sophisticated with uh, does it el- How many jobs is this going to eliminate? You mentioned chatbots, and I thought about think about customer service jobs and call centers and and all the number of people that are employed there and how that could be eliminated um, with the advent of, of chatbots used on a on a universal basis. So it's uh it's very very interesting to see where this um, trajectory of software is going to take us.
1: I think that when it comes to building your brand or building what you are as a company. So many people are experiencing companies now through the internet and through mobile internet uh, and, and I think that that experience from from the customer to a company is becoming much more digital um, you know just in the past few years here and that is all going to be driven by software and it 's going to be very important to have a web presence and a social presence and to have all of that optimized for mobile. And you can't just do that um, you know, with with some push button tools out there. You know, I, I know a lot of web developers that talk about how much more complex that world is today than it was even just a few years ago. But at the same time, you've got things like Squarespace where people think they can just spin up a website and they think that that's all there is to it. Um, and but if they actually want, an application, if they want that to be a rich, robust experience, then you're not just doing that with a few clicks. Um, you, you really have to invest in that. and So software will be you know, very important for a company's health and growth going forward, too.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that much like cloud and SaaS applications, and we always say they're easy to click to provision and customers can just get them on their own, but when you try to do something at scale, uh, when you think about security, as we discussed, what's important, and any other integration or customization that needs to take place, those require real software skills. Um, so you either need to have those in-house uh, or you need to find a provider who has them. But either way, I think skills and software are going to be very important going forward for everyone in the industry and for and for end customers themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. So the, the last thing I think that kind of popped in the year uh, just happened recently here, and I guess in, in a way it kind of combines all of these things that we've talked about, but it's this announcement by Amazon that uh, they're going to start looking at offering a, an MSP-type practice, and, and right now it's kind of restricted to customers that are doing instances within Amazon and, and operating within Amazon, but it could certainly go into something bigger, right?
0: Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I think this is an enormous announcement. Uh, You know, they are doing a, you know, they launched what's called AWS Managed Services. Right now they're pitching it as a MSP practice that caters to Fortune 1000 companies um, who are using AWS Cloud. But I think that this could have serious implications um, much further beyond that. Uh, as Amazon gets a good at it, and as we see, I mean, what is Amazon's ML? They, they'll break into an, uh, a market that wasn't what you would expect. I mean, they started in the book market, selling books online, and where are they now? They're all over the place. They own the Washington Post, they're in, so they're in media. They're in shipping, so they are you know they used to be partners with UPS and FedEx, and now they're going into competition with them. Um, and so likewise on the MSP space, I, I do believe that uh, the potential there is there for them to, provide these services to smaller customers as well. Why not? You know, you know, why not? The pricing will be low, because Amazon's scale is huge, and their pricing is already low for all the other services that they offer. And you know, I, I don't want to say that the MSP, the, today's MSPs are in peril. I don't want to be, a, you know, a, a doom and gloom person, but I think it would be foolhardy to think that Amazon is just going to confine what they're offering. To MSPs to these very large, large companies. I, I really think that we could see this go down, move down downstream. Um, so it will be interesting to watch because I'm sure there will be lots of bumps and hiccups for Amazon to get there. However, uh, I think it's time for the broader MSP community to you know open their eyes and think about how they can add more value, differentiated value uh, to what they offer because I do think they're going to run into a big giant sometime down the road it won't be next year necessarily but it will be as as amazon figures out a way to scale down um i think that that's going to be uh something that they need to make sure that they're keeping an eye on
1: you know they they talk on their portal about using other partners you know they're they're not necessarily positioning themselves as the one-stop shop for all of this that they can just handle all of it by themselves um but i i think it does indicate this move in the way that IT gets done, and, and the fact that IT can get done, and and large parts of IT can get done now, through simpler methods, and and maybe by you know outsourcing into a very large company that's got the scale, to build out some of these resources. Uh, and and kind of related to that is that there's been this topic of vendor lock-in in the cloud for the past several years, and and just this year, I noticed a little bit of a change in that where if you've got these really large companies and they're able to provide a lot of benefits and a lot of services, and they're able to provide platforms for innovation, uh, and if you're a smaller company and you can get access to that uh, much more easily than you could build it out yourself, then vendor lock-in is maybe not such a horrible thing because the, the amount of benefit that you can build uh, by staying within one ecosystem, really grows quickly. Uh, and so you obviously have to balance that against the risk of being locked into one vendor uh, and having a lot of difficulty transitioning all of your data and all of your applications to someone else and you know what happens if that person should go out of business, even if they are one of these mega giants. But it's, it's a really interesting dynamic, I think, that's happening in... The practice of IT, and and you're right that you know MSPs have a chance here to respond to that and and to evolve into something that fits this this new model a little bit better.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you about vendor lock-in. I'm mean, starting to think about. I mean, it's not a new concept, but IT delivered as a utility. It's becoming more of a utility, and uh, much like you know, you get your cable um, at home or your electricity at home. I mean, if you think about it, if you're a small business today. Starting out, you gotta, you know, you gotta outfit your your organization. If you're able to place an order online to an Amazon, for instance, um, and they're going to provide you, you get to pick your services. You got a menu of what do you need, and you go and click, click, click for the things that you need, and you start being billed monthly, and they're managing it all for you, and the price is low because it's it's they're able to price low because they're such a large company. Why wouldn't you do that? This is the question I'm asking. Why would you then? Instead, why would you go and look at a multiple different providers and pick best of breed, and then have to manage that all them yourself? Uh, for a small company, I see the. I, I just see the value in having ease and simplicity in dealing with one provider. Um, again, that's not to say there aren't issues with the ones you just mentioned with vendor lock-in, but I think what you're dealing with a big you know, giant provider. Um, the likelihood that they're a going to go out of business and you're you know you're out of luck is pretty low. Um, so I, I do think the tide is changing a little bit um, from the notion of having to do everything best of breed and making sure that you have multiple vendors in your arsenal or that you know you have um, flexibility to change easily to a situation where it's the onboarding ease and the ongoing management ease that you're looking for more so than having. Um the best of everything provided by ten different vendors
1: right there there are definitely I think some things lost you know around customization or around fine tuning exactly how you want the technology to be used. You're not going to get that necessarily from a huge provider that's trying to do more of a one size fits all uh, and and even if they offer some of the capabilities, then you may not have the wherewithal to to know exactly how to use them because some of that is still going to fall to the the client or the end user. But the question is how many companies are looking for that at least, you know, at, at at the start. You know, how many companies are going to be able to take huge steps forward with without customizing an approach or without building a new architecture? There's probably a lot of them. Uh, and and then over time they will get to a point of needing fine tuning. But I, I think we really have a disruptive model on our hands here, um, and and we've we've been with the previous model for so long, and and even before that, uh, there, there was there was no model to, to go off of, and so we we've got this one model that we've been building off of, you know, through mainframes, through PC, uh, and now things are changing, and distribution is changing, and accessibility is changing, and new things are going to get built, so uh, it's going to be. Very interesting to see, again, how all of these topics that we've discussed really start to uh, twist and, and turn and change into uh, things with, with this new way of thinking.
0: Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, just on one point on the customization um, needs, uh, I think that may be where the new opportunity is for the like, channel companies and other others in the industry um, on the end user side as well perhaps the way that we procure um, and manage our technology will change to these larger providers. But then the the needs internally to customize, as you said, and to, to make these cookie cutter solutions not cookie cutter anymore, uh, that's the door that opens for the channel companies that are out there, for other integrators that are out there. Um, so not everything is a negative. If Amazon you know, decides to take over a lot of MSP business, there's going to be, if you're smart and savvy, And you become more of a specialist, um, you're going to have a chance to make yourself valuable to those customers still. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know about you, but I'm kind of ready to close the door, though, on 2016 and move into next year. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy the next few weeks. But then, you know, I'm ready. I'm done. I'm ready for next year.
1: (laughs) Start with a new slate. Indeed. Well, the other big thing that happened this year was this podcast. It's been uh, a lot of fun doing this with you. Uh, we've we've This will be number 13 that we've uh, pushed out there. And uh, if you are listening to these, uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear reviews on iTunes or any feedback that you would have. Uh, we're definitely planning on continuing these next year. Uh, so let us know what you'd like to hear from. And, and we hope to have a lot more guests and keep having fun.
0: Yeah, it's been great. I've enjoyed it very much. And, and you know, I'd love to hear from anyone who's listening out there. You know, we'll take topic requests. You know, I think that that would be great, and we'd love to be able to be discussing the things that you want to you wanna hear about. So, yes, Seth, it's been great fun, and I've enjoyed it and looking forward to continuing it next year. All right. Well, um, big plans for the holidays? Uh, nothing big. I mean, family is all in town. Uh, my daughter comes home from college for break today, so... Um, she'll be around, and we've got other family in town, and should be a nice, nice time. hopefully, once the single digit temperatures go away, it'll be we can spend some time outdoors, and I hope to get on the slopes and ski a bit.
1: Yeah, we don't even have family coming in. It's just us. The kids wrap up school next week. Um, so it's gonna be pretty quiet, uh, which I think will be a nice way to end the year for us. I don't know if it's going to get warm enough for us to get outside or not, but yeah, it should be a nice, calm ending to the year, and then we'll get uh, next year started off right.
0: All right, well, amen to that. Well, already, well, let's sign off now. Let's have a great rest of your year.
1: All right, you too.